Pastor Tim wasn't lying. You guys sounded good this morning. Better than I sound this morning, actually. Um, you know, I wanted to start today by just bragging a little bit about our teens. But I'm not going to do that because I just found out that they've been TPing Pastor Tim's house. I didn't know that. I mean, uh, and so I, I just want to tell you, teens, I challenge you to just try and TP my friend Alan Troop's house. It's a challenge. You heard it, you heard it here, right? I wasn't going to pick on Alan this week either, especially after picking on him last week. But then he said today, what do you got today? So I figured I had to, had to pick on him a little bit. So, But you know what? I, I do want to brag on, on the teens. They did such a wonderful job. And uh, I really enjoyed seeing them use multiple talents. I mean, all sorts of different talents that they were using and using those talents for the Lord. And what a, what a great thing. And I want you teens to know that you're, you're considered part of the church to us. You're not just a separate youth group. You're part of us, right? And uh, we believe that. I also want to say I was proud of the adults. When I looked around the auditorium, we were at Wealthy Park Baptist Church, and I looked around the auditorium, there were a lot of you there. Not just the, the youth sponsors, uh, although they were there too, but, but parents, uh, grandparents, adopted parents and grandparents, and just people from the church in general. And you know what? A, that's a blessing to see where, when, a church, uh, when a church shows that it's, it's a body of Christ, right? We don't look at people based on their age groups. We don't look at people based on, on different social status or economic status or, or, uh, or ethnic background or anything like that. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we saw that yesterday. And I was, I was, I was encouraged by that. Well, uh, as we come uh, to Joshua, we're nearing the very end. This is the second to last message on the book of Joshua. Some of you might be thinking, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, some of you might have really probably enjoyed learning some things about Joshua. I learned things about Joshua that I've never known before. And I taught the, through the book of Joshua before. And uh, I picked up a lot of new things. But we're, we'll be in Joshua chapter 23. When we come to the point of Joshua's farewell speech this week. Last week we dealt with the major conflict that was going on and between East Israel and West Israel, and, and that could have torn them apart. And so now at this point in the story, they've learned how to defeat their enemies. They've also learned how to deal with their internal conflicts between themselves. And now they're really free, and, and the Lord's at the point where he's ready to just turn them loose so that they can go and enjoy the promised land. And the basic lesson that we have been learning through this is that God is faithful, right? God is faithful so we should be full of faith because of that. We saw a promise made in Joshua 1, and we see him keep that time and time again. So as we come to chapter 23, we're now, we're now going to fast forward for 25 years. Okay, from, the, from the conflict that happened in chapter 22 to the time in, 20, in chapter 23, now we're fast forwarding 25 years. And uh, let me read verses 1 and 2a of Joshua chapter 23. It says, Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all the children of Israel, for their elders, for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them. Let me just stop there for a moment. 
I want us to actually put ourselves there for a moment. Imagine that you are the congregation of Israel. Try and think back of all that you've gone through and everything that Joshua has brought you through. Can you do that? So put yourself in their shoes or in their sandal, I guess we could say. And, and put yourself in, in that and try and imagine what it would be like to have this leader who has been your leader since you were kids, right? And for some of you, your entire life, he didn't age for 40 years, remember that. And so you've seen God work in his life in a very special way. But now he is actually, he's around 110 years old. And he's giving his last words to you. You put yourself in that situation. And, and so what I've done is I've asked Joshua to come and just share that speech with you today. Does that sound all right? And I, I uh, made sure he wasn't too busy. So, um, and uh, so today he's going to come and share that speech with you. So Joshua, why don't you come and just share that speech with us? I am old and advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes. From the Jordan, with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land. And the Lord your God, as the Lord your God has promised you. Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left hand, and lest you go among these nations. These who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else, indeed, you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them and they to you. Know for certain that the Lord that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts 
and in your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it should come to pass that as the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you. You shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Thank you, Joshua. <laughs> you know, there's something about the certainty of imminent death that gives us a type of clarity, right? In fact, you hear people say all the time when there's a near-death experience, what do they say? My whole life flashed before my eyes. Have you ever heard that said? Because there's something about the, the way we live normal life where we live what I call the fog. Right? In a fog, you can't see what's behind you very far or what's in front of you very far or in any direction very far. You can only see what's right around you. And I think sometimes we live life that way, don't we? We live life in, in, in the way where we, we know what we did yesterday. We know what we're supposed to do tomorrow. But sometimes beyond that, it's very difficult to see, right? But then when maybe you hear the news or that, that you might have a disease or, or for Joshua's situation here, he just knew he's 110 years old. He probably doesn't have too much time left, right? But there's something about the clarity that says, oh, I understand now the big picture. I see how the past, the present, and the future, how they kind of work together and, and, uh, and the wisdom that comes out of that. And today, as we, we look at chapter 23, let's glean from the wisdom of Joshua in that moment of, of clarity in his life and see what we can learn from that. So let's, let's do that. Uh, uh, during this speech of Joshua's, we really see him begin with the, with the, the past. He talks about the past. He talks about the, the present in verse 4. He talks about the future in verse 5. And then goes into an application from there. So I want to look at those, those three things uh, today specifically. Looking at the past, the present, and the future. Let's start with the past in verse 3. It says, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. Here we see uh, a reminder from Joshua, that, that, that God has done amazing things. Right? And at the bottom line is that God is the one who has done every single one of these amazing things, right? Now, if we have put ourselves in the shoes of all of the people in the congregation, what things come to mind? When he's talking about the past and all the things that the Lord has done for them, well, let's, let's go back and let's just quickly think through the timeline of what those people, the hearers of this message, would have been thinking. So let's start with where they were born. Uh, most of them were actually born in the wilderness. Now, if, if you remember correctly, 
there were all of those who were children at the time of the, uh, the first spy account when they went into the promised land, and there was not enough faith to go into the promised land at that time, all of those who were children and below, they were, they were the survivors, the ones that we find listening to this. Everyone else was born sometime during that, that time. So when you think of it uh, that way, you realize that the people that were listening to that story, they had heard stories of the plagues and the Red Sea. They heard these stories from their parents, right? Now, some of them actually experienced it. The older people who were surviving and listened to the words of, of Joshua actually were there as children. And remember that as children. And so to hear the stories, and I could just see that how they sat around grandma and grandpa, and, and they tell their stories. I remember my grandparents telling me stories, all sorts of crazy stories. But hear them tell the stories of how faithful the Lord was when they were slaves in Egypt and the plagues that he put on the, the Egyptians so that he could free them and how he opened up the waters so that they could walk across on dry ground. And not only that, as the Egyptians chased them to flood them over again with the waters. And, here, and you grew up hearing those stories. They also, in the, in, the, in the wilderness, they saw God provide food and water. When they needed food, God provided food. Uh, he would even at some point provide them food that they didn't even know what it is. You've heard of manna, right? What does the word manna mean in Hebrew? What's this? <laughs> manna, what's this? <laughs> and, and, and so God provided miraculously, sometimes sending quail, different things that he did to provide food and water. Whether he turned the bitter water sweet or gave him water out of a rock. And you were there to see that. You grew up in that environment. You saw God's faithfulness there. And then the, the enemies started to attack you. And you have no protection. You were, you were wandering around in tents. And you saw God defeat Sihon and Og. You saw Joshua, the very man before you, giving his final farewell speech. And, and, you, and you remember the day when, when he held up Moses' hand. Remember that? And, and if he would, as long as the rod was held up, they were winning their victories. Joshua was there supporting Moses' hand, supporting his arm. And, uh, and so you've, you've gone through the wilderness phase. After those 40 years in the wilderness, let's fast forward a little bit to the, the, the Jordan River. You remember the Jordan River where, where you carried the Ark of God before you? Remember that and, and, uh, and put yourselves in their shoes. They carried the Ark of God, which represented the very presence of God. And it went before them, and as they stepped into the Jordan River, the Lord blocked the waters just like he had done in the days of Moses. And they crossed the Jordan River once again. And then they saw God part the waters and do a miraculous thing just like he did in the Red Sea. And through this, they began to get this notion that, that they were serving the same God with the same power, the same promises, same protection as what Moses had served. You know what? We serve that same God, don't we? So we should put ourselves in their shoes. And, and God doesn't change. And, and the same God that parted the waters of the Red Sea is the same God that parted the waters of, of Jericho. Let's fast forward just a little bit further as we uh, go into, uh, uh, into uh, the, the promised land. And then we see them in, in Jericho. And remember, once again, they carried the ark of God before them, reinforcing that it's the presence of God that makes all of the difference. And then they obediently marched around the walls one time every day for, 
for six days. On the seventh day, they did it seven times. And we saw God miraculously bring down these walls. And, and the very things that they were afraid of 40 years ago, the high walls, God brought them down. Well, you could say, oh, it was an earthquake, or you could say all those things. But we remember when we talked about that? And we say, oh, just the one portion of the wall stayed still. How convenient was that? <laughs> the, very, the very portion that held the, the habitation of Rahab. And we see God's, God's uh, uh, his power, his miraculous power, and we begin to see that really clearly story in, in, of Jericho. Fast forward just a little bit further, and we have Ai. Remember the situation in Ai? The, the first time they went to Ai, they lost. No direction from the Lord, no ark of God this time, and they went and tried to do it on their own, learning a very valuable lesson, right? And so they realized that if you put your confidence in man, it just doesn't work. Even though they had defeated uh, Jericho in God's power, they thought they could defeat Ai in their own power. What an important lesson to learn, right? Then we see that they won when they put their confidence in God. The second time we see the ark of God again. We see them doing it the way God said, following the commands of the Lord, and they defeat Ai. Next thing you know, uh, they've learned uh, one of the most important lessons, and they have learned to trust in God alone. Alone. Not in man, not in yourself, but to trust in God alone. We found the, the, this balance between, between cowardice and conceit. And cowardice is when we, we don't trust in God, and so we, we don't have the courage to go forward. And we saw about conceit, and conceit is when we trust in ourselves, and so we think we can go forward. And neither of those two extremes work, right? But the balance is found right in the middle, and that is encouraged when we trust in God alone. All of these things were going through their minds as, as, as Joshua gives his farewell speech and says, remember the things that God has done. Remember the battles that God has fought for you along the way. All of these images are coming to their minds. Let's fast forward just a little bit more uh, to the Gibeonites. Remember the Gibeonite deception? All right? And uh, they were tricked into making a treaty with the Gibeonites and the the Gibeonites pretended like they were from far away because God had said, do not make a covenant with, uh, with anyone from inside the promised land. And, and so they pretended like they were far away. They even had some doubts on their own mind. And, and, but instead of seeking God's counsel, they just went out and they did it. And they, they made a frivolous vow and they made this, this, this treaty with the Gibeonites. Through this, they learned to be cautious, did they not? They learned to be cautious. They learned that you have to be careful and following the Lord, and you need to seek counsel from God before making big decisions. But once they made that decision, remember that there was a temptation. There was a temptation to just defeat the Gibeonites and go back on their word. And we learned the, the, the importance of vow keeping, the importance of keeping that vow. In fact, we end up seeing how the Gibeonites become assimilated into the people of God. We see how later on in history, when Saul, um, when Saul uh, attacks the, the Gibeonites, God removes his hand of blessing on the people of Israel until David comes along and avenges the Gibeonites. Gives you a, a clue of how God felt about the Gibeonites. And these are the lessons that the Israelites learned. Let's fast forward just a little bit further. When we had the, 
these southern kings all bound together, and they were going to attack the Gibeonites. And the Israelites said, we're going to keep our vows, we're going to protect the Gibeonites. And so the Lord actually brought all of the southern kingdoms to them all at one time. Remember that? They were hugely, hugely outnumbered. But they stood up and did what God told them to do. And they fought those enemies of the Lord. Did we see God show up that day? Yes, we did. We saw we God show up in, in miraculous ways. We see God destroying the enemies with hailstones. Think about that, hailstones. And so they're fighting their battles, and, and the Lord is throwing hailstones, and it's only hitting the enemies. And these people, hearing Joshua's farewell speech, this was their experience. This is what they lived. They lived it. They saw God do that. If that wasn't enough, they saw God still the sun. Right? Still the sun. So that they could defeat their enemies, and they ended up defeating all of, of the southern kingdoms at one time. They began to really comprehend the exhaustive power of God. Right? And, uh, and we, we saw that. And the, then let's fast forward just a little bit further to the northern kings. And as we come to the, to the northern kings, what happened there? Well, we find the terminology, they struck them down with the edge of the sword. They utterly destroyed them. There were a few exceptions, and we'll talk about that next week. And they truly began to understand the faithfulness of God. When you put the power of God together with the faithfulness of God, you put those two things together. That he's always faithful. He keeps all of his promises. But he also has the power to make it happen. Is there any reason why we would not have courage? Is there any reason why we would not have courage? All this gets summed up into a couple of words in chapter 23 when Joshua says, The Lord has fought for you. Has the Lord fought for you? What has the Lord done for you? And, and so, so then we, uh, we come to the, the farewell. And this is where we hear him talking about the past. We're talking about what God has done. You know, if we want to have clarity of what God is calling us to do in the future, if we want to have clarity of what we should be doing right now, then we have to sometimes stop and get this clear picture of thinking, let me think of the past, the present, and the future, and how it all fits together. So we've seen the past, we've seen the faithfulness of God in the past, and then we look at the present. Let's take a quick look at the present in verse 4. Verse 4, See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes. From the Jordan, with all the nations I have cut off, as far as the great sea, westward. And so we talked in the last couple weeks about the land divisions. And here they were enjoying. They've been enjoying this now for 25 years. Right? Of having the land divisions. They've had their tribes. They've had their property. And, and the Lord is producing. They, they're getting plenty of rain. The crops are yielding. And, uh, and the, 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 the people are... are the population is growing, and we see God providing in all of the ways that he told, that he promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. We see land. They're in the land. Descendants, we see them growing in population. Um, blessing, we see this relationship of blessing between God and his people. And so when we look at the present, we see that God is blessing. I want to ask you, too, is God blessing in the present? Has, is God keeping the promises to you? I mean, is there anyone here that could say, you know what, God failed on a promise. If you can raise your hand and say that, then you misunderstood a promise, right? Because, because God has never failed. He has been so faithful to us. 
He sustains us. They, oh, that doesn't mean we don't have problems, but he's promised to always be with us in spite of our problems. Has he ever left you during your problem? Bless you. And, uh, and he's always with us, right? And, and so, God, we see the faithfulness of God in the past. We see the faithfulness of God in the present. You know, we, we, have, we are not experiencing the fullness of the gospel yet. You know that, right? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he says that he, he paid not only for our sins, but he also paid for all of the sicknesses and diseases and so on. How many of you still get sicknesses and de- diseases? I've been struggling with that all week. Right? I was talking to some people this morning who, are, who, who have been struggling with that. Yeah, and, and uh, we're not experiencing it all yet because we're not, in the, we're not in the future. We're in the present. But in the present, we still see this. The, the, we have the, everything that God has promised. The Holy Spirit still resides in me. Amen? And that's an exciting thing. And, and so we see that, that, uh, that God is faithful with, in, in the past. He's faithful in the present. And then let's look at what he has to say about the future in verse 5. Verse 5. And the Lord your God will expel them. Notice the future tense verbs here. Will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land. As the Lord your God has promised you. And so he's talking about the future. And he said, you are going to possess the land. Notice, 25 years though had passed. You think they should have conquered those last remaining cities? Yeah, I think so, don't you? And when you saw how fast the, the southern armies were destroyed, how fast the northern armies were destroyed, now you have a situation where... Everyone who's being faithful has done their job, but there's still a couple places, and we'll talk about that next week. But we, we, but we see that God has been faithful. That's really the lesson of Joshua. God is faithful, so what? So we should be full of faith. God is faithful, so we should be full of faith. There are two applications that I want to bring out today, two very important applications, and they come straight out of the text. As we as we listen to, to the farewell speech of Joshua, there are two times he said, therefore. Right? There are two therefores, and each one of these is going to lead into, into one of the two applications. So I want to look at those starting in verse 6. So, so I, I'd like to look at the, uh, uh, at, the, at the first one, and the first one is simply courage. Courage. Look at, look at verse, verses 6 through 10. Therefore, in light of the past, present, and future that God has promised, Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you Great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you this day. And then here comes my favorite verse of the, of the chapter. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised. To put that in one word, courage. Courage. One man, one man will chase a thousand. What does that mean? It doesn't matter how big your enemies are, because it's the Lord who's fighting for you, one of you can take on a thousand. Right. Now, I'm not sure exactly how many people are in here, but it's probably somewhere in the ball, 
part of 350, right? Now imagine if we were to triple the size of this group, all right? So that means filling up any empty seats and most of you having people on your laps, all right? If, if you can imagine filling this room and then we were going to have a, 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 a UFC competition here for a moment, me versus all of you, who do you think would win? Yeah, at least someone has confidence in me, right? Yeah, Connor says, Pastor Dave. I wouldn't win. But you know what? When you think of those numbers, that's the number that, that God is. One will chase a thousand. I love the imagery of chasing, too, because it's not just one beating a thousand. Imagine a thousand enemies of God's people. And, and all of a sudden, they see one of God's people, one Jewish man out in a field, and they say, uh-oh, you know, we got to get out of here. There's a Jew. Let's go. You know, and they run off in the other direction. That's the imagery that we find here. One man, one of you shall chase a thousand. It's not just beating them. It's scaring them off, right? And that's the imagery. Talk about courage. Man. But, you know, that's not the way we live our lives as Christians today. It's like, oh, there's another, another situation going on in, the, in our society where they're taking away another right. Oh, no, what are we going to do? And we get run scared, right? Come on, man, we're Christians. We're Christians. What can they do to us, right? I mean, think of what Daniel did, right? When it was against the law, you would be put to death for praying. What did he do? He prayed, right? right? He changed the heart of the king. Right? I mean, think about it. One man shall chase a thousand men. Here's a quote by, uh, by John Wesley. And he wrote this. Give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I will shake the world. I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. And such alone will overthrow the kingdom of Satan and build up the kingdom of God on earth. Is he right? Think what Jesus did with 12 men. See, Jonathan Wesley, he's not Jesus. He needed a hundred. <laughs> Imagine when one person is willing to have the courage to do what God's called to do. He'll chase off a thousand. You know, the, even this statement has, has the concept of past, present, and future built right into it because this is something they've heard before. In fact, this is a line that Joshua is quoting from a famous song that was on the top ten radio stations of, uh, in, in his day, right? If they had radio. But this is one of the most famous songs that they knew, and it's called the Song of Moses, right? You've heard the Song of Moses? And, uh, and so it, it, one of the lines in the Song of Moses um, says, uh, one of you shall chase a thousand, but then it goes on to say, and two will put 10,000 to flight. Pretty cool lyrics, by the way. Better than the lyrics of a lot of the songs that, that we hear on the radios today, right? This is, I mean, these are good. And, and he says, one of you will chase a thousand, but two of you will, will put ten thousand to flight. What's the point of that? Wait till you see what happens when Christians get together, right? I mean, remember what Daniel did. Remember what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego did, right? And so when we get together, it's just amazing. It's also a tie to the future because we find the, the, the phrase again in the book of Judges, the very next book. We have, uh, we have a man who wasn't exactly the most faithful man his entire life. 
His name is Samson. Remember him? Pretty strong guy, right? And then he just had those moments of faithfulness. He had those, those, those little moments in, in uh, chapter 15. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he grabbed it and struck down a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I, I often pondered that. What is that? How do you fight off a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey? thought maybe it was like a slang term for a machine gun. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you the answer. It wasn't a machine gun. It was the Spirit of the Lord Amen. came upon him. When the Lord fights your battles for you, that's when one man chases a thousand. I'm not guaranteeing you victories in everything that you do because you might fight in, in your own strength. But I can guarantee you, based on God's word, if you're fighting God's battles and it's the Holy Spirit and it's God fighting those battles for you, you will win. And you will chase a thousand people away doing it. And if you team up with others, you're going to chase tens of thousands of people away when you do it. Give, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God and I will shape the world. Great words of John, John Wesley. So that's the first, that's really the first application that we find. The second, therefore, is caution. Second, therefore, is caution. Let's look at verse 11. 11 through 13. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. So as we, as we see this, uh, I went too far, sorry. As we see this in, uh, in verses 11 through 13, we see this caution. Really, there shouldn't have been anyone left in the land at this point, right? We'd all agree to that. But he's saying, for those who are left in the land, do not let them influence you. Don't be contaminated by those who follow other gods. I like the way he put it, too. Don't even mention the names of their gods. Don't even consider those gods to be credible of, of being you know, worthy to be mentioned. Because you, as God's people, serve one God, Yahweh, the Lord, your only God. Amen? And, and he said, do not be contaminated. By them. Don't intermarry them. By the way, some people use this um, as an argument uh, for, for racism. Is that what's being talked about here? Not at all. It's don't intermarry with those who are of false religions. It has nothing to do with race, right? In fact, we see Rahab. Was she a Jew? No. She's right into the, right, brought right into the, there's no problems with the intermarriage there. There's no problem with that. She, in fact, she's right in the line of Christ. We've talked about that multiple times. This has nothing to do with race. In fact, Caleb, remember Joshua and Caleb? Caleb is only half Jew, right? His dad was not Jewish at all. Right? has nothing to do with that. And who, in fact, Caleb was the very first individual mentioned to receive an inheritance of land. Pretty cool, huh? And, uh, and, and he was only half Jew. So we're not talking about race here. But he's talking about this intermarriage where you say, in spite of the fact that 
that I worship Yahweh and you worship someone else, we're still going to have this connection. Even this the connection is as intimate as the bonds of marriage. And God's saying, that's not right. That isn't right. Because these were God's people. They're supposed to worship one God. And not to be influenced by the world, but rather to be influencers in the world. I wish we as a church would grasp this concept that, that really our job is to influence the world. If we understood courage the way God, God has asked us to be courageous, then we would be out there influencing the world. But instead, we don't have that courage, and so we retreat, and we, and we, and we keep falling back further and further and further. And the next thing you know, it's the world that's influencing us instead of us influencing the world. And that's the caution. Joshua said, you need to be cautious because if you start letting those people influence you, that's going to grow. They're going to influence you and to the point you too will reject the Lord your God. And then the Lord will not fight for you anymore. And you will lose this land. Now we know history, right? We know that that happened. Israel breaks into two groups. You have Israel in the north and they're carried off in captivity. The, the south lasts a little bit longer. And they're carried off into captivity and they lost their land. Why? Because they didn't heed the words of Joshua. To have the courage that God's called them to have. But then also to be cautious of the direction of influence in the world. And that's really the key to it all. I like the way he sums it up as he goes into his last words. As he, as he looks at the... The past, present, and the future. And the last words of verses 14 through 16. And, and as we look at this, I want you to see that we ha- we, if we have in these last few words, we have all of that we, all we've talked about are summarized right here. We see the faithfulness of God in the past. We see his present. We see his promise for the future. We see courage. And we see a caution. Look at everything that he says in his last few words in, in here before, uh, before we get to the last chapter of the book where we talk about the covenant that they made. Look at verse 14. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. He knew he was dying. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you. There's the present. So the Lord will bring upon you all, um, all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. The caution. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land, which he has given you. Basically, you have to maintain your love relationship with God. Don't set your affections on anything on earth. Jesus reminded us of that, did he not? Don't set your affections on anything that the world has to offer. Be courageous. Be cautious. If we as Christians would learn just the lessons that that we see in this little glimpse of clarity that Joshua had at the end of his life. Imagine what the church can do, right? We're beginning to see God do some of those things already. 
God, God isn't done, I don't believe. So let me ask you this. What about you? Let me ask you this first. How has God shown his faithfulness to you in the past? This answer is going to be different for every person in here. But I want you to think about that for a moment. Actually, make the list in your own mind. Take the time. Recount. What are some of the things that the Lord has done for you? If you have ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I hope that everyone in here has, if you've, if you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then guess what? You're still saved. Right? Do we ever lose that? He's faithful. You still have that. Every promise that he's made. I want you to think this through. Recount them. Secondly, what lessons has he taught you along the way? When you think through it, and Joshua gave all of these examples of lessons that the Israelites have learned along the way. What are the lessons that he's taught you along the way? Number three, what scares you the most about what God wants you to do for him now? Because I know we're not, we are not near reaching the maximum potential of what God is calling us to do. Do you agree with me on that? If I'm stepping on toes, I'm stepping on my own too, all right? But what scares you the most about what God wants you to do for him now is, is what people will say. Are you afraid of our government shutting us down and saying you can't meet in a church anymore? Because guess what? We don't need a building to have a church. Amen. Right? Are you afraid that they're going to tell us you can't pray in public anymore? They, they told Daniel that. It didn't keep him from it, right? Are, are you afraid that one day they might even uh, persecute us to the point of, of putting us to death as we're doing to our brothers and sisters in Christ and in other parts of the world right now. You know what? That may happen. It, would never, it wouldn't surprise me either. But guess what? The promises of God are true. One man will chase a thousand. One man will chase a thousand. And then will you put your trust in him today and say, Lord, show me my thousand. I'm going to chase him off. I'm going to show, show me this, the thousand and I'll, I'll chase him off to do that with an attitude of caution. Are you being cautious to obey? Are you being cautious to make sure that your connection to God is so intimate, that your, your relationship with Him is so tight that you're not allowing the world to influence you, but you're actually out there influencing the world? And the moment you start recognizing that the world's influencing you, it's time to get back into to your relationship with God, get closer to Him, maybe even shut off some of those influences and those sources of influences so that you can make sure that you don't fall into the sin of the people of, in the time of Joshua. You know, Joshua is a high point in Israel's history. We never see the people of God more faithful than what we find of the people right here in Joshua 23 and 24. But it only takes to the book of Judges for things to change. Because they didn't heed the caution. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to think through those things and in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make this right. First, I want to ask, there might be some people here who would say, you know, Pastor Dave, I've seen the faithfulness of God through the book of Joshua. I've seen who God is and how faithful he has been. But I've never personally trusted him to be my Savior. If that's you today, then I do not want you to leave today without giving you an opportunity to make that right. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And if you would like to talk with someone to know how you could begin that relationship with God, see from God's word 
how you can have that relationship with God, then, then when we sing, just get up out of your seat. Come forward. We have some people that have a lanyard that just says, ask me. All you have to do is just go to any one of them and just say, I want to ask you a question, and they'll lead you, they'll lead you from there. I mean, you don't want to come forward. That's fine. We have some in the back. You can just get out of your seat and, and, and move somewhere, and we'll find you. And someone will show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with him. Perhaps you know that you're here today. Maybe there's some who know beyond a shadow of doubt you're saved. But the Lord is still challenging you in other ways. Maybe he's challenging you to, to be courageous. Maybe he's challenging you to take on a ministry, whatever it might be. It might be your workplace that needs to hear the gospel. It might be a ministry here at the church that has your name on it and the Lord's been calling you, but you've been afraid to do it. Whatever it might be, if you'd like to surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, I may not know who my thousand are, but I'm going to chase my thousand today. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can come up forward and just pray to the Lord. No one's going to bother you. It's between you and God. Or maybe today, you've realized that you haven't heeded the caution of Joshua. You've gotten lured into the attractions of the world and you've allowed the influence and of the world to influence you instead of you influencing the world. And if that's you today, then, then come forward. Just pray that to the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And you can walk out of here today with a clear conscience. Because God is faithful. Let's pray, and then we'll stand together and we'll sing after that. Heavenly Father, we thank you again your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of commitment, that we would be full of faith in light of all you've done in our past, in light of all you're doing in our present, and all that you have promised to do for our future. And I pray this in Christ's name.